You're listening to SkippyCast. I'm David McPhee. SkippyCast is a podcast about hobo-like travel. This interview is a homage to what was my inspiration for the podcast, Bob Butler's Trailcast. All 27 episodes are available on archive.org. Anyway, about a month ago, I reached out to Bob again to see if he was interested in chatting about his show, and this is the product. Now, it is a long show, so I don't want to spend too much time rambling, but it was so much fun. And without further ado, here is my interview with Bob Butler. Welcome, Bob. Thanks for joining me. I've already given you an introduction. You were my inspiration for doing a podcast Way back in 2008, I came home, I, I actually it was 2007, and I was working as a GIS tech in Arkansas, and I was desperately looking for a podcast, and I came across your podcast, and uh, I, I think my dad had just died, I was, wasn't exactly going through the best of times, but listening to podcasts is what really got me through, so thank you for that, I really appreciate it, and thank you for joining me. Um, you started Trailcast back in April of 2005 with Miss Janet. And I want to find out what what made you want to do a podcast and what did you know about podcasting? First of all, thank you, David. I appreciate it. Very nice to hear the kudos. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that the, uh, that the podcasts had some, had some value. That was really my, my, my main goal was just to kind of give something back. I, I never really felt like I was an expert. In fact, I was very much a newbie pretty much exclusive to one trail, Appalachian Trail, um, as far as kind of wanting to become or at least to get beyond the newbie phase. Um, and it all started with me wanting to talk to all of the people that I had heard and read about over the years with well, uh, on my section hikes on the AT. So you don't have any background in journalism at all? I do not, no. No, sir. So you just basically wanted to produce what you wanted to listen to? It started off where I, I was at Miss Janet's Hiker Hostel after a really, really great section hike. I mean, one of the best. Uh, I was in Irwin, Tennessee, the Rhone Valley Highlands, just a gorgeous place of the AT. And in the southern AT, you never get above the tree line. But in the Rhone Valley Highlands, you're in these bolts. Uh, so you actually feel like you're above the tree line at the top of these bald mountains. And anyway, I get back from this, just, I was just very stoked. Miss Janet was, she was already well-known, uh, hiker famous and Jack Tarlin, who at the time before he had passed away was also quite famous as a, just a hiker, uh, personality that was always on the trail. I think he must've, uh, I don't know if he yo-yoed or flip-flopped, but he definitely had hiked multiple times and he was known to be both very, very helpful, but also I think practical to the point of maybe even terse to some newbies. Yeah. But he had called and or said that he was going to call Miss Janet that night, and she said, "Oh, I'll let you talk with him." It never, it never ended up happening. And that's what was the kernel of the idea when I got back home. I was like, you know, I don't have to wait for Jack to call. I can just call Miss Janet, you know, and 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 she's got people at her hostel. And maybe there's the chance that I'll bump into Jack, which I ultimately did. But I, mm. but, uh, but I ended up bumping into m other people that had their own unique and very interesting stories. And it just kind of took off from there. 
I want to get to this before we go any further. One of the things I learned from your show was all of the terminology. You just mentioned yo-yoing and flip-flopping and things like this. They were completely new to me. Trail names, the whole lot was completely <laughs> new to me. I had some experience uh, hiking. I'd done a, a little section of the Bibberman Track in Western Australia. I mean, you can tell I'm not from here. Um, and I, so I had an interest and it was growing and you were the one that introduced me to the PCT. You were the one that introduced me to the terminology. So I just want to mention that um, yo-yoing is uh, yo-yoing is uh, if 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 you're if you're if if you're starting Nobo, uh, which would be as another terminology, <laughs> a northbounder going from Georgia to Maine, you would just turn around and hike straight back. Uh, I think it's similar to I, I would say it's similar to flip flop. Uh, uh, I think flip flop doesn't necessarily have to be in the same season. You'll forgive me if, if I'm getting the terminology wrong. It's it's been a long time, but it's that's okay. I, I, and I'll check it later and uh, make sure because I defaulted to you because I haven't thought about it. I think yo-yo is probably the correct term. It's basically you're getting people that have done they have completed a through hike and they have realized guess what I like this. I have the time to do it. I'm not done. I'm just going to turn around and walk back the other direction. So why a podcast? Did uh, did you have any idea about podcasts before you? I mean, this is 2005. Podcasts weren't well known. I mean, people had started, people had been listening to internet radio for a while. And obviously iTunes was starting. I mean, I think you were pre even iPhone. So people weren't even thinking about things like that. At the time, believe it or not, I think one of the, the person that 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 is is attributed to if not creating the podcast but certainly you know getting it to where it is now i think he was actually an old mtv vj i'm not joking i think it was adam curry mm -hmm. and back then podcasts were they they got the name from the ipod and it was meant to be kind of a a digest you would Every morning, you would plug your phone into a uh, into your computer, and then you would collect what you subscribed to. I wasn't. I think that there were one. Or, there was one podcast that I listened to that was about nothing in particular. It was this gentleman named Richard Vobes, uh, a UK gent, uh, that was just a comedian and funny, and he did a very good job. And but I wasn't even subscribing to it a lot. I, I, it, it was new. That was the only, I, it was new and it felt that suddenly I had the ability to share phone conversations and I figured, well, it looks relatively straightforward enough. Uh, I was wrong, but <laughs> we'll get to that later. Yeah. Um, so that, that was the idea for the format. That was the only podcast that you listened to. Cause I remember, uh, I started listening, I think it would have been February of 2007. And I used to listen to internet radio. I listened to Australian radio. And I thought that was fascinating. I mean, here's me listening to live broadcasts all the way from Australia. You know, the world is so small. And I don't even know, I, I don't even remember it being on iTunes. I don't think it was on iTunes. I think it was a Google. I think I Googled it and got to your page. And I remember um, Triple J in Australia used to do old episodes of Roy and HG and they would put them out there and you could listen to them. So all of a sudden um, I found your page and, and I Googled it and this is, and, and it had to be before iTunes. So I think by the time I finally started publishing, I think um, iTunes ultimately did support it. And there were a few requirements as far as me setting up an RSS feed, a few technical tidbits. And I think it ultimately did appear in 
in iTunes, but I can't remember how aggressively I tried to to broadcast this in other listings for podcasts. Um, and I don't recall if there were any other podcasts that I was really listening to. I just felt that this was new. Also, I went in, in into the, with such low expectations. I, I figured I would just record a conversation with somebody that I wanted that, that I wanted to have. And if I could make it shareable and I knew that there was a community of people, a, 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 a larger than most people thought, um, that would be familiar with some and also some that were also kind of like me that were very, very much interested that maybe it would be consumed and appreciated. Because I do want to set the scene for people. I mean, this is pre, well, I mean, it's not really pre-Facebook, but it's pre-people pre adopting social media, pre-iPhone, really. This is in a world where you're really having to go out and get your own content. And it's the Wild West. I remember at the time listening to you there was a one called The Wildebeet. There was um, uh, a little bit later, I started listening to Bob Cartwright's um, uh, backpackinglight.co.uk. Uh, there was practical backpacking, but there really wasn't a whole lot else. And yours was the first one that was a long format interview. It was, and it was something that you could really get your teeth into. That was why I liked it as much as I did. And obviously it came from the heart because it was what you wanted to listen to. Um, you just, decided you were going to do a podcast and found out what you were going to do and and interviewed people and i i've got a question down here why hiking and obviously it was because you were just hiking the at it's, it was the at exclusively what you did i had hiked in boy scouts and i had done some trips with my dad in the canadian rockies but for some reason the appalachian trail had always appealed to me because it is the longest continuous footpath in the U.S. that is the most accessible to to U.S. citizens. The PCT, I think, is technically longer, but um, the Appalachian Trail is actually closest to most Americans, and there so there's a lot of access. And I had just heard rumors through young adulthood into adulthood um, about it. And as I I read the Bryson book, I didn't think a lot about it, not because I have any issue with, uh, you know, comedy writing. Um, but it's just really, it's not my forte. And then there was my first trip, my, my very first trip that I took on, on the Appalachian trail, which was an absolute disaster. I had no idea how truly challenging that trail was. And when was that? This would have been in 2002, perhaps okay. I think 2002, uh, starting at Unicoi Gap in Georgia. And if you want to talk about a really difficult place to start, I mean, Georgia is a, even, I mean, any state, any trail club is going to take issue with me, you know, claiming that any, any other, any other spot of trail is more challenging than theirs because all of these maintenance clubs, they compete. They really do. But mm -hmm. I was, I, that first, that first 400 foot up, I, I just couldn't believe it. There are no switchbacks. There, there, there is no forgiveness. You are going, I remember begging, just give me 15 paces of walking normally where I'm not walking up or I'm not walking down. I, I, it was a learning experience and it was, honestly, it was, it was kind of spirit crushing. I really felt that I was prepared. I was not. And uh, the, um, it sounds like a baptism of fire. Was. Who were you with when you did that? I was with a uh, two two work colleagues at the time, and uh, one of them had experience on the Appalachian Trail, and I and and had invited me, and the other one was uh, somebody who hadn't, but was uh, much fitter 
um, uh, several years younger and in better shape than I. I actually, that first trip, I ended up getting off the trail and uh, uh, thumbing it back to the hotel after three days. So it was, again, that's where the spirit crushing phase went. And I, the amount of preparation, how much I had looked forward to it and the, this sense of failure. But when I got back, I was like, I am absolutely going to fix this. Okay, I'm going to do what it takes. I can do this. I just had no idea how real this was. It's not camping. It is, it's an all day endurance sport. So what was the, what, I mean, I remember when I, I did the bib track, I, I did it back in 2001. I didn't do the whole thing. I did it. It was like a four day or three day. And I was in Australia at the time uh, in between coming back to America and I couldn't buy gear. So I had to borrow gear. And one of the things that's notorious about borrowing gear is you have to accept the weight of whomever has that gear. And it's often a lot heavier than you want it to be. Was that one of the big things? Did you um, under-anticipate the weight? Oh, my gosh. And I'm glad you brought that up. In fact, I think that was very centric to a lot of my questions. I was really obsessed with what people were carrying and how light they were trying to go. It was for me. I had read a, um, a book by a well-known climber who also became a well-known adventurist but had written um, a book about um, lightweight backpacking. His name is Ray Jardine. He and his wife, Ginny, um, have done a number of, of videos. Uh, they've produced uh, DIY videos and kits on how to build your own gear, but it was absolutely transforming for me. So when I was finally able to get my base pack before food and water mm -hmm. down to eight and a half pounds, it, it completely transformed the experience. It took me a while to get there because I started off with a even though I thought it was a lightweight frame pack, um, it wasn't. And I was starting off with a tent and a lot of, you know, a, a lot of the same kit that uh, those of us who were in Boy Scouts or in Australia, I think you mentioned, what, what's the equivalent of, of Boy Scouts in Australia, sir? Oh, I did. Uh, well, we have Boy Scouts, but I okay. did. Um, um, my first camping trip was when I was 11 and I did uh, uh, Boys Brigade. So in the in the 80s everything was aluminum frame packs or they had just introduced internal frame packs but it was still metal lots of very heavy thick nylon full poly bags aluminum mess kits but also including a frying pan as if i'm out there going to be sauteing mushrooms and making a frittata it came down to me was was really understanding what was the point of of what i was carrying and and that first trip was a great shakedown trip because I realized it's not camping. By the time I stopped hiking, the sun had already gone down below the mountains. It was dark. I had chores to do. I had to go get water. And of course, that meant I had to go down and then back up because the water is down mm -hmm. and the shelters and the hiking spots are typically up. And then it's time to eat and go to bed. Um, so the, the last several through hikes, I never even made a fire. I'm excuse, I beg your pardon. I'm sorry. The last section hikes. Yes. I, I remember um, when I did my, I have video of it and this is video, video camera circa 2001. And um, yeah, I took a video camera and a, a, a sleeping bag that was probably the size of a cow's ass. <laughs> I mean, it was huge. Right. I mean, I looked and I have pictures of me and I've got a big pack on the front and I got a big pack on the back. And fortunately I was quite strong. And, and this is when I was 30 and I remember thinking, 
oh, this is just ridiculous. I think I even took a tripod. Or maybe I left that back at the youth hostel. But I remember thinking, the, the world has to change. I've, I've got to learn. I, I, when I first got to the States, I came here on a student exchange. And I thought, oh, I need a pair of sturdy boots. So I'll get steel cap boots. Right. I know. Exactly. How did we do it? How did, I, 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 I guess... We well, didn't. We learned by we right. learned by trial and error. Well, the AT, you know, when in Boy Scouts, there's a Boy Scout reservation in uh, Cimarron, New Mexico, called Philmont, and it definitely has uh, tiers for uh, your level of, of of hiking skill. But all of the trails are switchbacked, and mm-hmm. I was used to a five mile hike was that's that's good enough, fellows. Let's pitch the tent. You know, I wasn't used to. Uh, what uh, a 17 mile day in the Appalachian mountains would be. In fact, that, you know, or even a a 10 day in the mountains is a really respectable number, especially for a section hiker. I I would like to say that one of the, um, and I'd be curious to know how many people learned from your show, because the one thing uh, your podcast opened people up to Bill Bryson basically uh, showed the comic, you know, don't take too much. It's too heavy. But you talked in detail, you talked about the terminology, you talked about weight, you mentioned Ray Jardine on your show. I remember listening to you and taking notes, uh, and especially the people that you interviewed that, who had through hiked, because their stories were invaluable. And as we know, a lot of people, when they start spring a mountain, just like cats out of a walk in the woods, they got no idea. It, it, their, their first day of learning is day one. So your podcast actually, for me, introduced me and i'm sure probably a lot of other people your mistakes helped other people um not make them but i appreciate that i hope that it helped I, I i think that there were a number of other people that that may have had you know that i that i got a chance to speak with that that had similar experiences but and um, i never made the approach trail to springer and i never hiked from springer uh, other than that i do think i have the the, the majority of of Georgia under my belt, but apparently it is quite true from Springer until that first big stop is littered with hiking equipment that people just abandon along the way. Hiking equipment and broken dreams. Yeah. And it, so I was obsessed about weight and I I truly was, and and it made all the difference in the world for me, but it was also realizing what, what does the gear really, what is the gear meant to do? Like foul weather gear, your rain gear. I learned pretty early on if if you're going to walk in it, don't expect it to keep you dry. It's not there to keep you dry. It's there to keep you warm. So I had started off by using this very lightweight, porous, breathable material mm-hmm. called frog togs, which you can buy at most sporting goods stores. And it's fine if you're watching a sporting event or if you're sitting around camp, it certainly will shed water. But mm-hmm. if, if you're wearing anything, you will become soaked by your own perspiration or, oh, absolutely. or any amount of water that will infiltrate it. But I was hiking in February. Um, in Tennessee and 40 mile an hour winds. And that wind was just cutting straight through those frog togs. I was soaked underneath. I just couldn't believe it. So just a fail there. And I learned, okay, not to keep me dry. It's to keep me warm. Uh, yeah. But it's fun out there, isn't it kids? I mean, that's why yeah. people do it, right? <laughs> right. It didn't help the the individual with whom I was hiking, even though he is a Louisiana native is immune to cold. I just couldn't understand it. We, we had visibility of 10 feet and he would want to stop at, on the top of a bald mountain com- where we were utterly exposed. We couldn't see anything and he would want to stop and take a picture. And I was huddling behind him. And that's when 
I learned another real scary second lesson about, especially in, in cold weather hiking, I didn't have the option to stop. Once mm-hmm. I stopped and I cooled down, I never really warmed up for that day. It was truly about, I had to hike my own hike. So hiking with a partner is really problematic if you're attempting to put in big miles. Mm. For me, it was in, in challenging situations, especially when it was cold. I had to, to hike to stay warm. As soon as I started cooling down, I knew I had to keep going again. So it, the first part was, this is frightening. The second part was, okay, no, as long as I'm not injured, I, I know what to do. I just, I just, I hike until I'm ready to make camp. Otherwise, I will cool down and never quite warm up again. So what's the time difference between Boy Scouts, this trip on the AT, and obviously you just didn't want to let it beat you? Decades, decades. So the the, the longest trip I would have made in, in High Scouts would have been, uh, it would have been in high school when I was in Boy Scouts, that was in Philmont. I had taken a, lot, taken a lot of canoe trips in the boundary waters between Minnesota and Canada with my father, but that was canoe. So this was by I, this was it I, there was no there was nothing in between my time in the boy scouts which would have been high school into my early 30s you did mention the canoe trips and you mentioned going with your uh, your dad on a canoe trip did you do that for many years before getting onto the AT yes i did that, that was something that i did uh through high that school that was in minnesota right it was, uh, a, there's a section of lakes um, called the Boundary Waters on the U.S. side and on the Canadian side, it's a national park called Aquatico. And it is largely um, non-motorized watercraft. There are some sections where you can, but it's uh, it's canoeing and mm-hmm. lots of portaging, which is, you know, lifting your canoe. And we did this, of course, and we started this in the 80s where we were using the old Alumacraft canoes and uh, to make things even more complicated, the distances on these maps that you have to haul your canoe from lake to lake are measured in a unit called rods, which mm. I think is the equivalent of about 15 feet. So it's kind of difficult to determine how far you were actually going to be carrying your canoe, walking back, grabbing your big giant canvas, what they call Duluth packs. Think of it as a rucksack that could probably carry a futon, mm-hmm. no frame, all your food, all your fishing gear, um, but luckily, you know, you could plan around that. But we had some we, we had some pretty brutal portages, uh, but nothing, n- n- nothing, I will say it was on the level of my first experience at Unicoi Gap in Georgia on the Appalachian Trail. So bring it back to the podcast a bit. Um, what were your expectations of doing it? Because obviously, none of us make the trail or any um, hiking or physical activity like this sound particularly appealing. It's always when we get back and we decompress that it becomes something that we really can reflect on. And, and you do it for the moments, for the vista, for the things like that, and to try and test yourself. But you decided you wanted to talk to people who did this. What was your expectations for the podcast? I mean, what did you want to learn? It started off with Jack Tarlin. I was at, um, I think it may have been my um, second stay at Miss Janet's Hiker Hostel in, in, in Irwin, um, in the Rhone Valley Highlands. And she had mentioned that Jack was about to call, um, that he was on the trail somewhere and he was planning on hiking in, but he was going to call and, and said, oh, I would love to talk with him. I had read about Jack mm-hmm. because as I had researched the Appalachian Trail, I was um, visiting as many forums as I could. And I'm trying to remember, I think there was one called White Blaze 
you'll have to forgive me. It's been so long. No, I, I remember you talking about White Blaze. Mm-hmm. There, there were a number of forums that were pretty active, and Jack Tarlin was also active on them. There was also a, a, a website dedicated to those who kept hiking journals, and oh, did I consume them. I, I read every, in fact, I believe I interviewed one uh, one individual who I followed her just religiously, um, just because she did. That was on trailjournals.com. I remember that interview where you spoke to the founders. Oh, she was, yeah, I, I just, I kept up with it every day, looking, I mean, waiting for an update because she, in my opinion, represented such a, such a, just a really wonderful case of somebody that wanted to go into it, kind of similar situation, didn't really know truly what to expect, had to learn as she went, thought that she had done enough preparation, um, was surprised when she found out that she hadn't, uh, pivoted, readjusted, adopted, and still was somehow able to find time to sit down, not only journal about the rough hike that she had, but then to describe her surroundings, like mm-hmm. these tiny little rivulets of water from the, from from the from the shower that had just happened. And I was like, how 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 could you do that? I would just be focusing on how tired I was. So it was a lot of research and a lot of reading, um, but it was really truly out of a desire to talk to these people that I had been reading about or had heard about. It's funny because they almost become superheroes in the sense that they are doing something incredibly hard. I mean, you know that it's hard. And a lot of people who don't have any experience on a trail, they can't really imagine it in the same way that you can. So obviously you had that in your head when you were interviewing these people. I did. I I was fascinated by all types. I was fascinated by those that had the experience, such as the Barefoot Sisters, you know, who I, you know, they... I'm not sure how how could they do that? How 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 can some or I'm 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 having a I'm blanking with the name of the gentleman that I believe he set a record for hiking through the Smokies section within less than twenty four hours. With Oh with, I'll I'll put a link to your podcast when I do show notes and things like that. And so the, people can go back and, and re listen if they choose. Sure. Yeah. There, so the, there, there were definitely some record holders that I was just fascinated by. Those that had put in so much more effort and prep and 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 suffering to, to get good at you know at kind of a really interesting but also very very niche hobby interest or obsession. I never put in that amount of effort, but I remained fascinated by it. So, but I also wanted to, I liked talking to people at all levels. I really liked talking to people that had just started the trail and had no idea what they had gotten themselves into. And I wanted to know their experience. Were you gauging yourself against their misery? No, no, not at all. If, if anything, I was hoping to learn. Um, mm-hmm. But I was also, I, I at that point, I felt that I was already on a good track for learning. I felt that I had already had a as you put it, a, a trial by fire, and each successive section of hike that I had made afterward, I had made noticeable improvement, and mm-hmm. I was feeling very comfortable with my my progression. I, um, at one point, I had entertained the notion of a through hike. I looked into taking uh, what is known as a leave of absence from my work. Uh, I, I was listening to your show with Jody uh, about the bib track and. Uh, she was talking about a, um, I believe it's called, um, oh, what's the term, redundancy, and how oh, how, much, yes, she redundancy, was, how yeah. much she was looking for that, looking forward to that, whereas you know, so that she would have the time to do it. I did entertain the notion of through hiking it. I don't know that I would have uh, would have completed it, but no, I was. I certainly it was in no way trying to equate my experience with 
at least I, I don't recall that was a feeling. I, I was, I think I was just really kind of curious about, you know, the experience of, of, of those that were kind of in a similar novice situation, but equally fascinated by those that were obviously had a lot more experience. Now, this was after I'd listened to your show, but I, when I moved to West Palm Beach, and I've just interviewed the guy who was the host, there was a, a show on PBS called um, Trailside, and they did a documentary series over two episodes back in 1994, I think it was, where they gave um, through hikers a, a camcorder and had them talk into the camcorder over the period of them hiking the through hike. And it was, it was amazing, particularly the growth. And what I found as well was, and you probably did, and I, I want to hear your experience on this, just because you see somebody um, start a trail and they don't look like they can do it doesn't mean that they can't. Thank you for saying that. That is incredibly important and so true in my opinion. Yeah, I absolutely agree. There is so much that goes into through hiking that isn't physical. I mean, it's, it's, it's a grind and it is, um, it is a mental trial, but there was, and I do want to point people back to John Beeman's um, interview where he talks and there, that episode is on YouTube, but there was one woman in particular who she talked about the criticism that she got from other people. You know, you don't look like a through hiker and she made it. And as we know, what is it? A third of people um, finish start is that correct? I, I, I always thought that it was actually quite a bit less well um, i mean it's it's not a lot i mean and things i remember hearing your stats at the time on the show but i i, I do want to say though that people just because you think somebody can't do it doesn't mean that they can't do it there's a lot that goes into doing a through hike my takeaway was fitness level was not a predictor um in in any way now um, you produced 27 episodes of your show in one year which is it's not a bad clip i mean that's a lot of episodes when you consider you know, that's only a year uh, before you ended your show in April of 2006. How difficult were they to produce? Now, we've talked a little bit before the show, and my production is so much easier than yours. And I did see you string cables from bedrooms into bathrooms, and, you know, you had a board where you had a recording device and everything else. Do you want to talk a little bit about how difficult they were to produce? I'm trying to do my best to remember, but... the, the the most expensive piece of kit that I had, I think, was the the digital recorder because I did try a few test runs by recording to my computer, but I didn't trust the computer wouldn't crash because mm-hmm. I'd have to run the cable. I had set up a bathroom. I was living in a I was living in a uh, a two bedroom flat and with uh, with with one bathroom, and I set um, that foam egg crate um, mattress cover as a sound dampening. And it was a bit of work. Um, I just remember that I think it took me about two weeks to sort out getting my mobile phone connected into a relatively inexpensive mixing board that, um, and to a microphone. And I had everything strapped down onto a piece of wood that had the mixing board, the, the recorder, and all the cables, and, and, and my microphone. And I would haul everything into the bathroom. I definitely would make a, a test phone call, and I would have reached out to uh, to those uh, that, that I was about to, to chat with ahead of time. But as soon as I got it recorded, then the real work came in. It was me working with a an open source 
audio product called Audacity. Are you familiar with that? I am. I'm. It's still a lot of people still use it. It's still a good program. And it was great at the time. So it was just a lot of passes with a variety of filters to get rid of hum and background noise. Um, I did not in any way want to edit for time. And that, in fact, that was one of the great things about it was, is that I was really, I, at the time I honestly, it wasn't that I didn't care who listened to it, but I, I didn't want to edit out anybody's um, I wasn't trying to edit. I, 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 there, there was no need to, since it wasn't for any. It was for a podcast, a limitless format. So mm-hmm. it was primarily get the intro in, get in a couple of stingers. Uh, as I think I had like a, a mid-break stinger, mm-hmm. and 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 an outro that uh, may have. It's been a while since I've even listened to one of mine that that may have done a little bit of a summer. Uh, summary of the conversation and if i had a teaser for an upcoming but it's been a while since i even listened to one of mine in fact i i can't even find mine on any device i think they only live on archive.org now did you put them on archive no i had them hosted on a paid website that was of course this was uh this would have been 2000 i was doing this primarily the year of 2005. Mm-hmm. So the last episode was released. About month. April 2006. You, you, uh, I mean, I'm looking. That's the nice thing about archive.org. You can go back and check out the the um, the um, the save points of your website. Okay. So Katrina, Hurricane Katrina was the beginning of the end of that podcast. So April um, would have been spring. Katrina happened in August. Um, and I must have been taking a break at the time. I had no intention of stopping. I felt that I felt that I could maintain. If anything, I felt that I was getting a little bit better and mm-hmm. was really looking looking forward to you know, to 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 each show. I mean, I was getting more and more the real trick in the beginning was um finding people to interview. I, I was lever I was really leaning heavily on Miss Janet and Thank goodness she was a very, very helpful and willing participant. But you interviewed a, a lot of diverse people. I was going to ask you, how did you choose? I mean, you went, you had Yogi, you had um, Tim Ernst, who was part of the Ozark Highland Trail. You you went everywhere in terms of the types of people that you were interviewing. Um, e- email suggestions and people on White Blaze and Miss Janet. But eventually uh, enough people began to listen that they would email me interview subjects and I would cold call or, or, or just reach out straight to them. So it was absolutely 100% com- community driven. I, I never left the state of Louisiana during uh, uh, to, to interview anybody. I, the, the one time I even went out of town was that really uh, awful sounding yeah, interview. Yeah, another one you told me. I had, I've never been able to get through it. The, the Wookiee one. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so sad. I mean, um, because the, the device that I had at the time, but I did drive to New Orleans to meet him because I thought his story was interesting. I, um, and, and unfortunately, the device failed us, failed us all because he had such a wonderful story. So that's how you, you came up with people to interview because it was, it was incredibly diverse. Oh, it, yeah, 100% community. I mean, uh, I, I, I was literally relying on, on those who were listening to the show to come up with suggestions and they did and I followed through and that's that's what it was. You chose a format that just you pulled out of the air. You 
designed a setup. Did you speak to anybody to how to design your setup? Because people didn't know how to do these things back then. I think I got um, podcasting for dummies, but I used your video as a guide to look at how to set up mixing boards, how to record dual audio, because I mean, dual audio is the key. You had two microphones. I mean, th this wasn't well known. How did you speak to anybody? I don't recall if I spoke with anybody. I think uh, even then, I think enough Google searching was able to kind of lead me to there. There were enough garage bands and uh, like home recording enthusiasts that had. Um, uh, so I was using a uh, was it Behringer or Behringer? Um, it was a, it was one of their their lower end mm -hmm. mixers, but it did have. Um, uh, proper mic inputs, and I bought, which was actually the most inappropriate mic, but I did buy a, a broad condenser mic, which of course mm -hmm. picked up every possible sound. I should have bought a shotgun or something a little bit, you know, a little bit more isolating. But so even then, I, I, I only knew the basics. I knew that I needed to be able to, to, to isolate the audio and get it into it, into a single hub where I could kind of mix the levels and then send it out line level, um, to my recording device. And then once I got into my recording device, it was stereo, but I think I ultimately mixed it down in the, in the mono just for simplicity. But no, I, I, I'm certain it's, it, there was still a lot of mistakes made. I, I never felt expert in that area of, of, of producing the show. It was impressive for somebody doing it at home. And it certainly, it was unusual. I mean, it wasn't something that we take so much for granted nowadays. Everybody can do everything. Um, but back then, that wasn't the case. It was work I, from start to finish. So I would, uh, it would be during my work day, like around lunch, I would, I would have one final lock-in conversation with the individual with whom I was going to speak, just to confirm that we were still on. And yeah. then as soon, as soon as I got home from work, I would set up the recording studio in the bathroom. <laughs> and then we'd agreed upon time would have been sometime maybe around 6 p.m., 6.30, 7 by the time I concluded the conversation, the rest of the evening was dedicated towards uh, towards post, uh, getting the the interview, uh, the, the recording cleaned up, getting the RS feed updated, getting the uh, the very minimal website I had updated, and uploading the uh, the video and making. And I can't remember if there was one or two steps to ping um, the uh, the uh, what's the Apple product that you mentioned the uh, iTunes. Uh, yeah, to ping iTunes to let it know to uh, to sweep my RS feed. There there may have been a, a few things, but I do recall that it was an, it was a full night's worth of work. And by the time I was done, it was time to turn in. You always seem to be fairly polished on the questions you were asking. Did you actually have a questions list? Did you give them a questions list, or did you just basically fly by the seat of your pants? I was flying by the seat of my pants. I never provided a question list because I I didn't have I had a uh, I had a notebook that and I. That, that, I, I, that I had written out some rough sketches of some questions, but during the course of setting up the, the interview, I would have done, um, I would have had some research done. I would have either spoken with somebody that knew this person or I, I would have been familiar or, but a, a lot of them, I, I, hadn't, I, I had no information going into it. I think there were at least one conversation with a, with a, with a young man just staying at Miss Janet's hostel uh, who was there and- That was um, your last episode. Was it okay? Mm -hmm. I, and and I, I hope that was my best because I I, I think that for me that 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 really encapsulated like kind of how I felt about hiking was is that you really can't know until you get out on the trail. It's he was great. Yeah. He was great, and he had one of the best lines in your whole show, which was 
um, people hike because everything has come together or everything has fallen apart. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I don't remember that, but I do now. Thank you. That is a great line. That is a great line. I think he was a teacher and he had just divorced with no children, took a leave, decided to hike the trail. And I, I always wondered what happened to him because he was talking to you from Miss Janet's and he was saying, well, I'm going to take a little bit of time off the break and follow a love interest in, in wherever it was. <laughs> I can't remember what it was now. And so you kind of left it on a cliffhanger. Yeah, I wished I'd picked it up. Uh, Hurricane Katrina happened and I, I worked at my my work was kind enough to give me a uh, a leave of a paid leave of absence to pursue uh, Red Cross volunteer work, um, and I did that for six weeks. Um, the state was shut down, and you mentioned that you work in GIS. So the people that were really the most sought after in uh, where I was working at the time where it was the GIS section, and I did not work there, and I didn't I didn't support them at the time. So, and shortly after. Uh, I moved, and then my personal my personal life changed. I, I met somebody, but moving into a new house, a new neighborhood, and meeting a new community of people, um, yeah, I, suddenly I realized my life has changed, uh, and I wasn't able to sustain the show. I always I, I kept it in the back of my thoughts. Eventually, I'd pick it up again, but I think reality eventually began to kind of creep in. Because your website lasted, I think, for another couple of years, and. And obviously, I was able to contact you through the Trailcast Gmail email, so you still have that. I think so. I think I, I, I and I occasionally will get the odd email, and I, I did get a letter from a gentleman a couple of years ago who was, wrote me a very nice note, and we uh, and he gave me a phone number and, and and called, and we had a very nice conversation, and he talked about how much he he appreciated the show, and it was incredibly gratifying. It was very good. It was very, very good because it was honest and it was obviously done with heart. Um, who was your favorite interview and why? That's a really, that's a really tough question. Do you, can you remember one that sticks out? I, I'll tell you what mine was. We can yeah. talk about some. I listened to some of those episodes probably three or four times because they were. It wasn't just the interview. It was the. It gave you a sense of um, dreaming. I dreamt about doing what some of these people were doing. As much as I probably, you would think that I would say Jack Tarlin because I, the, the whole thing kind of started off with, you know, like, why do I need to wait? You know, I didn't need to wait for Jack Tarlin to call Miss Janet to talk with him. I could just call him or something. That, that's generally how it started. But, I, you know, I honestly can't remember. Uh, it, it wasn't the final podcast with, with the individual that was just starting off. It may have been the Barefoot Sisters because I felt that their story was really, really unique and interesting, but I would really love to know yours. All, all the PCT ones really stick out. Uh, I loved the uh, the Squatch interview. I mean, that guy's incredibly talented. And yeah. because and, and he probably owes you a huge debt of gratitude because I don't know how many people bought his DVDs as a result of your podcast, but I did. And oh, I loved them. I, that, that was a journey from the interview through the DVDs. The other one was Yogi, because again, very, very entertaining. There were a couple that was more, um, I, I couldn't put myself in the position, but like Scott Williamson, I could not imagine doing what Scott Williamson did. And, and for anybody who doesn't know, he he yo-yos the PCT, and I think he has some records as far as doing the, the PCT. Um, and that was more of a, um, 
a science experiment type thing. I could look at him from a, um, an outsider's perspective, but I could certainly not put myself in his shoes. Again, I, I, I felt the same way. I was, but, but, but still so fascinating just ha- having been out on the trail, not, not, not having ever been on, on the Continental Divide or the Pacific Crest, but just being on the Appalachian Trail, just knowing the, the, the level of effort, but, uh, but also what, what I found fascinating was how much planning would have to go in just the logistics um, of, of, to pull off a feat like that. One of the interesting things about the Scott Williamson ones, he talks about featuring in um, uh, Talent on the Mountain, which was a PCT documentary. Do you remember that by any chance? I do not, David. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm not surprised that you don't because it took another, I think it came out and you interviewed him back in 2006. That didn't come out till 2014. Okay. So that documentary that you talked about took ages. And by the time it came out, the um I remember the video didn't quite look as snazzy as it would have looked, you know, when it had first come out. But you you did so many great interviews. The Trail Journals one as well was another great interview because again you you did introduce somebody who was doing something that you wanted to learn about and and that introduced me to it as well. I started reading Trainsley. That's how I was living vicariously. And when I, when I wasn't on the trail and I was dreaming about it and I was, you had a quote, actually something along the lines of, you know, we're the, they're the hikers or they're the doers and we're not the doers. I I wish I'd written it down. (laughs) You had some quote akin to that. Did I? (laughs) That's what I did. Uh, When I should have been working at work, I would, I would bring up trail journals and I was reading about these people that were doing something that I so desperately wanted to do. So that conversation with her uh, was also very personal. Um, I was also just so amazed with how somebody could go through what I knew was an excruciating exercise and and, an endurance and then still take the time to work with a very rudimentary uh, texting app that she was lugging along with her to make observations about other people. And then when she had time to get into town, hold this device up to a phone because it had a, a built-in, the device she was using, I can't remember the name, had an integrated analog modem that you would mm. hold to the phone and it would call, it would, it would then transfer the data over the phone to the service. And she was very dedicated. So, I, but anyway, she was a wonderful writer and she, so all the stuff that she learned along the way was was unique to her, to her hike, but felt very similar to mine. And just in the sense that, wow, I didn't know what I was getting into. I remember she realized that the best foul weather gear for her was a garbage bag skirt. <laughs> that it, was, it wasn't Susan Alcorn by any chance, was it? I think it was Janie, um, but I'm uh, Janie. I'm, I'm I'm blanking on it. Please forgive me. It's 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 been a while. And, you um, don't have to uh, look. I mean, it's. It, you've already set the the age of the podcast by saying and you had this little device that you hooked into a modem and i mean there wasn't any iphones we weren't talking huge tech here i mean the world has changed significantly since these podcasts were done and that's something i want to talk about in a little bit but did did you ever scrap an interview did you ever i mean you're obviously we've talked about the wookie one not a one no in fact the wookie one Again, I, f- I felt bad because it, it did a disservice to his wonderful story, and I did get a lot of feedback indicating that it was it was un, you know it was just you just couldn't really make out anything, and and I, I said yeah I agree it was 
was it was disappointing for me too. But no, there there was there there was nothing to scrap. I I was very very lucky in that sense. I even if something had gotten cut short, I think the I I don't think I would have truly ever scrapped anything unless somebody just lost their mind in the middle of the interview and, and started saying hateful things. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I I don't recall that there was ever a single uh, interview that didn't get published. I don't think for a minute that you would. Um interview people like that it, it was more because i mean having had some experience with podcasting i know how technology can fail us um and i've had it plenty of times myself so i was just wondering if that had ever happened because I, i'm dealing with a much better setup now and, and i did a podcast obviously before this one uh, i know how technology can fail you and there's nothing worse than having their audio and not yours or yours and not theirs and eh, you gotta start again so i had redundancy i remember i again at first I was thinking, well, I have a computer. I can just, you know, I just need to isolate my sound. So I'll, I'll do the recording in the bathroom. I'll just run a cable to my computer and I'm good to go. But what happens if the computer crashes? I'll never know. And it was, I, I got very, very lucky. I was working with a, uh, an, a Roland Ederall recorder. It was very small. It was about the. It's about, very expensive too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was the most expensive piece of gear that I had at the time. It didn't even have a proper um, SLR. It just had a, it just had three three and a half inch inputs, um, which was fine. I was just doing line level, but it worked. It had a very generous battery life, but it, it also accepted a charger. So even if the charger went out um, and I lost uh, power or something like that, I, who knows? in general, I, I think I just got lucky um, uh, with, with with my technical setup. Um, I'm, I'm certain if I'd kept it going that. But if something had happened, I, I remember I, I felt so little pressure about the technical aspects. I just would have said, well, we'll just pick it up tomorrow or when you can or resume. Or if you're comfortable with how things are, I'll just publish what we have and, and uh, add a note, uh, something did, along those lines. Did you ever interview somebody that you um, you didn't but wished you had? And why? I mean, I, I you mentioned Ray Jardine a few times. That would have been amazing. I tried. I tried with Mr. Jardine. Um, I tried. Um, in fact, I I can't remember. There was an individual that I interviewed. It may have been Wookie um, that knew Ray Jardine, and okay, and I asked him. I said, "Hey, I've reached out to to him to to no success, and I had read enough about Ray and um, Ray had, 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 I think published enough that I think that he had a genuine beef with certain elements within uh, the commercial aspect of the hiking industry. Uh, mm -hmm. he, um, in fact, I, I still have the pack that he designed for go light, the go light breeze, mm -hmm. um, which they, they stopped making a long time ago. He designed that. I understand, or I, I believe that he felt um, burnt by that deal. Something happened and, and honestly, I think this is a man that, you know, he put his time in becoming a pioneer in, 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 in mountain climbing and hiking. And he and his wife, you know, were wanted to focus on their adventures. And I got close. I think I ultimately did get a reply mm -hmm. from Ray. I just can't remember. And I think he just gave me a very polite, I really appreciate it, but I'm just not interested. I also did try to interview the, the individual behind through-hiker.com. Mm -hmm. He sold uh, sewing materials for people that sew their own hiking gear. And I could never get, uh, and he was very influential because 
I did end up sewing everything except my sleeping bag and my pack. Every, every everything. And I made my own tarp. Uh, every uh, and uh, outer uh, outer layers of, of of hiking clothes. And I spent a good amount of money on his patterns and materials and thought that he was very, very knowledgeable. And he also, he just simply said, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm just not interested. And I was like, you got it, bud. Now, you did a, a number of gear-related interviews. I was, I that... was obsessed. Yeah. <laughs> at the time, for me, going light was the key. I mean, for, for me, at least being able to... To, in, to, to get into more miles, but to enjoy the hike and not feel in constant pain. So yeah, I was certainly obsessed about weight. When you did your final show, you talked about Karina, uh, Katrina briefly, and I remember it as well. I was in, um, I had relatives in Mobile, and uh, or my, my ex-wife did, and I was in Arkansas at the time, and we were all watching from afar, but uh, we know how traumatic it was, and people forget how traumatic Katrina really was. Um, that occurred in the August, but you did release shows after that. How did you continue to do shows or were they already in the bag? I mean, they were in the bag. I think I, at that point, I think I had three in the bag and that was it. So I, I just, um, if, if you said mine was released in 2006, I know I, I had stopped. I know that I, I didn't produce anything during Katrina and, and, and I certainly wouldn't have produced anything after Katrina. So if I had published a program afterwards, it was because I had it in the bag. Did you ever think about just doing a, hey, hey, this is me? Because you did do an interview for, um, I, I want to say it's the it's called The Outdoor Station now. It's done by Bob Cartwright out of the UK. And in, back in 2007, you did a, a Whatever Happened To on his show, when it was back uh, called backpacking uh, backpackinglight.co.uk. I remember um, that. You don't remember it, or you do? No, no, I do. I do remember. Uh, I, I do remember him calling me and asking me and, and chatting about. It. I just I can't remember precisely what we talked about. Because <laughs> I'm curious. I mean, it just like you just disappeared, and and it's not like people weren't asking you. It was in the forums. People were saying, "Well, you know, when's the next show coming out?" You you got a lot of really good feedback. Yeah, I, first I certainly I would feel bad if if um, if people felt that that I had just departed the scene uh in in an inappropriate manner um that was never my intent when i when i moved um into a new neighborhood and also post katrina my personal life changed um in a really dramatic but in in, in a good way i mean i mm-hmm. i was suddenly uh, i was living in a relatively isolated neighborhood when i was producing the, the podcast i didn't feel lonely mm-hmm. I, I still had a healthy social life but i moved into a, a neighborhood um, and I met a lot of, of friends and it was very social. There was something, you know, so it kind of was like, a, it felt like I was kind of like back in college again for that, for that first year. There was like every, every, every weekend or weeknight, there was, there was a, there was an event to attend. There were new people to meet. I just bought a home as a new homeowner. You know, there's excitements and worries. And so my life had just really dramatically had changed. I mean, that makes sense because I mean, I podcast because, connecting with people is often over a significant difference. If you've got people in your backyard, you don't really need to do it, do you? Right. I, I did get, I did get it out. Uh, I mean, during that time I did make it back onto the trail a couple of times, but mm-hmm. in the back of my thoughts, I, I, I wasn't thinking about podcasting. At one point I was thinking about possibly making the trip to Damascus, but not to cover it in any way. I was still enjoying getting out on, onto the trail, but I haven't been on the trail since then. The, the, the last trip that I made would have been in, maybe 2008 
what was the feedback like for the show? Because uh, when you did disappear, there were, uh, you know, rumors of your death were seriously exaggerated. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, it wasn't really your death. It was like, he's off hiking the Appalachian Trail. You know, we live in a world of conspiracy theories now, but there were a few about what you were doing. Well, you know what? I am happy to report that that it is what happens to what I, what I would think that probably happens to most of us, which is, you know, going to be banal. Um, is that simply this, and, and it does not, I hope it doesn't in any way diminish. Um, oh, it, it definitely does. It definitely I does. <laughs> I, I, I would rather hear lies than the truth. I mean, as Bill Bryson, when he released A Walk in the Woods, he, he would rather tell lies than I had a full body replacement, you know, you know <laughs> and unfortunately it was the wrong size. So, But if it had been the AT, that certainly would have been, um, that would have capped the podcast in a big way. You know, actually, it, some, go on. I think I realized, I don't think I truly would have, fin- if, if I had attempted a through hike, I don't believe I would have finished. Really? I don't know. After what do you think separates the people who can do a through hike to, let's say, what you're saying? They must real. They have to want to finish. Um, my experience with my with my section hikes and, and 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 from what I learned about those that did section hikes and completed it is that the novelty of of the hike wears off and you have to treat it like a job. If you mm-hmm. want to finish in a season, it has to be a get up hike. And suddenly everything that you plan for to make your hike easier goes out the window. Suddenly you're not really properly packing your, your bag anymore because you don't need to. You can already, you know, your, your, your fitness level has changed that you can carry that extra 15 pounds. You know, you're eating, you know, it's just that you have to be driven to finish as opposed to being driven to want to be out there and truly enjoy being out there every day. You just have, it's, I've got, you know, the goal now is to finish as opposed to the goal is to be out here and to get good because you can get good in, in a month, in six weeks. In fact, that's kind of the, the section hikers, you know, what's the word? It, it's, it's, it's a common experience. By the time you have finished or the, your last day on, on a long section hike, you feel like you're leaving just as you're really getting good. It's like, man, I put in these last two days, I had just put in 15 days in the mountains for a section hiker. That's good. I'm feeling healthy. I'm not sore. My gear's working out and now I leave. So I would think that after six weeks to two months of that, for me, the novelty of that may have worn off. I would have started to miss my family. I would have started to miss my friends and my loved ones. And I, there's, it's it's everything. It's all those things that I think take, take one off the trail as opposed to injury and, and, and tragedy. Why do you think that people do do it? I mean, we, we mentioned the the quote that was either everything comes together or everything falls apart. I think that's what certainly gets people on the trail. Um, as far as why, why do you think people, uh, is, I, I'm sorry, the, the, why, why do they attempt or why do they finish? Uh, both. I mean, w- well, one, what drives them to go on the trail? And you've spoken to enough hikers. What do you think the magic source is? I mean, because there's a lot of people are repeat offenders too. Man. I mean, the whole concept of the Triple Crown I heard through your show, the yeah. fact that people want to do it over and over again, what do they get from the trail that makes them come back? I, there are some people who are one and done. They do that, it for That a, would be um, a question that I would almost think would be more appropriately directed to you because you are working on a more, uh, your, your, the, the, the podcast format that you're working on seems to be more centric to that thinking. Um, this, uh, the way it is, you've described it as more of a, about, uh, kind of a hobo lifestyle. Um, 
I, I think that probably dovetails really nicely into the question that you just asked. I don't know. Um, for me, it, it certainly wasn't an attempt to escape any anything, any bad aspects of my life. It did have to do with a certain amount of challenge and, and, and just being fascinated about. I had no idea how diverse the, this this world of being on the Appalachian Trail was, but then again, there are there are people that are driven by something else that I I couldn't put my finger on, but it seems like your podcast is actually trying to explore that. I am. Um, we've all seen the scene in Forrest Gump, you know, where he to, to overcome trauma, he just goes for a walk. Um, and I and I can relate to that. I. Uh, I've thought about this podcast since 2008, but I really, uh, when I first approached you, it was a couple of years ago and I was just going through divorce and I have a child, so I'm, I'm restricted. I can't just go for a walk. And I think there is a lot of mental health healing with just simplifying your life. If the only thing that you have to think about is eating and walking, um, you can control your life so much so that the rest of your time is spent processing. You know what? Your guest, Jody, reflected that um, when talking about the bib track and talking about uh, redundancy, she men mentioned the movie Wild. Yeah, Wild's an interesting story as well because I think, a, a, and in contrast to this, you have people like Yogi, who I just think she that's where she feels at home. I think that the people on the trail are her people. Or you have, um, oh crap, I can't think of the fellow's name. He's still hiking the the PCT. You uh, was it Wingfoot? No, not Wingfoot. Uh, oh, hang yeah. on, I'm going to edit this out because I'm going. I have to find who this is. Oh, the guy uh, that made the, the cat stove. That one that I interviewed after Yogi. Oh, he's he's so well known, and he just constantly hikes. Interesting story about how I interviewed him. Um, I accidentally misattributed the the accomplishment of hiking all three trails, the Triple Crown in one season, to to Yogi, and then this individual reached out to me and said, "Actually, that's not true. I was the one that did it." And I and I said, "Okay, you are. I am interviewing you next, if I may, sir." <laughs> Those people do it for something different. I mean, you have the the likes of Scott Williamson that do it because it's a challenge. They're trying to break a record, which. I to me, that's different. That's athleticism. Maybe that's, that's who I'm thinking of. Maybe I'm thinking of Scott Williamson. Yeah, uh, no, the the fellow you're talking about was a, an English fellow, and I rem I do remember his uh, his interview. I, I we'll clear all this up when I actually do some sure. um, some notes after the fact. There's Baltimore Jackets on the AT, but there's also a fellow who's on the PCT. And again, I'm going to put it in the notes. But I, he just, you know, he spends half his life on the on the trail, and the, I think those people find because life can become complicated and stressful and those people, and, and I think hobos are particular for this, you know, if you can simplify your life and you can process and the trail's a good place to process. I mean, the very first trail uh, that people even think about something like this is the pilgrimage trails like the Camino and, you know, de Santiago where people, it is about a journey of the mind as much about a journey of distance. Have you ever felt, real lonely on the trail? Um, I was always with somebody. And the, and honestly, I, when I was going through divorce, there was a, a local trail near to me. I mean, it wasn't particularly long. It was only an hour or two. And I would hike to process. It would be a way of cutting out the noise. And I feel that a lot of people do that on the trail. 
And one of the things that, and I do want to talk to people who've done this because they get back from it and life is so simple. And then all of a sudden they're bombarded by the real world. I can, I can completely understand that sense of depression. So, um, yeah, I mean, and, and obviously you didn't have anything that you needed to escape. So you're just moved on and, but you're, your podcast opened a lot of people up to those people who do it. And I, and I do think that there are different flavors of people that do it. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I was so grateful. I was so grateful for the amount of stuff that I was able to find um, in the early aughts that people were freely uh, taking the time to write down, to write down their trail journals, to write down thoughtful posts on the forums and other sites. I, it, it was invaluable. That definitely kind of factored into, you know, wanting to put something out. Even if even if there would have been two or three people, and one of those would have been my mom listening to the show, uh, it was prime. It was just like I'm happy to give back to a community that helped me, you know, get to a point where I wanted to get or or close. Well, I mean, people travel differently now, and that's something I want to talk about in a second. But so you had great feedback for the show, and then it went away and you got on with the rest of your life. Now that you're doing a podcast and you've seen some of the tech that I have, what do you think about the tech that, you know, what do you think the podcasting's become? What do you, do you have any impressions on it? And do you think it would have made your whole life easier and maybe you would continue doing it? You know, I don't know. Uh, the tech certainly is very, very slick. Uh, and and I, my goodness, it, I think it would have cut, uh, it would have, I would have been able to produce, you know, certainly in a, uh, it would have been able to reduce the, the, the amount of time it took me to get a program out. Um, I don't know if it would have actually changed the frequency because at the, I mean, it, now, I guess, depending on feedback, one, I, I have no social media presence. So, mm-hmm. and, and I don't, I mean, that's by choice. So mm-hmm. I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put, I wouldn't be out there on social media. I would still be relying on old fashioned email or text or some, some messaging app, but I wouldn't be using a social media. Um, so I, I, the tech, I love the fact that the, the way you're set up, uh, being able to have people dial in and, and, and plug in their, their, their nice audio quality inputs, everything's kind of mixed locally and then sent to a, a central place for you to then control and post. I don't know if that would have actually, if that would have like encouraged me or been the bump. I don't think that was the bump that actually had me ultimately stop producing the programs. I think it was just the, the programs, my, my time, my time doing that was felt done. Are you done with trails and hiking as well? Is the, is your life just different now? It, my life is very different now. Um, I, I don't. I'm I'm married now. I um and I adore. I, I'm just so jealous of of my free time at home with my wife. I, I don't want to, you know. So yeah, I would certainly love to be able to to get out there and do a hike. But I also, if I had my choice of a week uh, on a hike or uh, a week with my wife, I would spend a week with my wife. Yeah. So what do you do? What do you do for the outdoors now? Do you, or what do you do to decompress now? Well, uh, we follow Cubs baseball, like uh, like 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 all good Americans. Well, that's <laughs> that's less stressful than it was a few years ago before they won the championship, right? Well, it's actually more. I don't know, but I know I'm making friends and enemies just by by invoking any particular team right now. But uh, I, I married a uh, I married a Chicago girl, um, so oh. now now I. 
I grew up in a town where we had two, we had access to watch two major league teams. One was the the Cubs or the Braves. So I grew up with with Cubs baseball on all the time. But uh, no, I I don't see having a long hiking trip in my future. Uh, I, we we travel a good deal, um, but no, I, I it, it's not something that my wife ever did. Um, growing up, uh, certainly we, car camping, and we are planning a trip to to McCall, Idaho, this mm-hmm. summer around a lake. Uh, to do some fishing, but I don't know. Uh, I, I I don't see any any long trips, any long hiking trips in my future. Which is, yeah, I I, I do miss. I still have all of my old kit. I still, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I still but have it's my old, old kit now. Though I have my my Western mountaineering bags, which I just checked it, and they're they're still in fine shape. Um, my my Go Light Breeze is still in fine shape. My uh, my alcohol stoves are still working. My titanium kettle still there. I mean, I could throw together my pack and go. Um, oh, the, the the alcohol stoves. How we heard about that? I wonder if that's still a thing. I, you know, um, I don't know, but they work, man. They work. The, the little cans and the holes. Uh uh-huh, That's it. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Uh, I, I mean, mean uh, yeah. If you're if you're going for crazy lightweight, I mean, then and and I was. I mean, literally, like you know, like uh, you know, cutting the end off of my toothbrush. You know, just anything to get to get. I mean, the last couple of hikes, I didn't even use trekking poles. I was like, it's just. Um, Anything to anything to keep my pack like around like maximum with food and water to about eighteen pounds um, was that was and it real for me for me it made the difference uh, for those that, that 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 can bear the extra weight and uh, I was always very very jealous I but I I found that my secret sauce was go as as light as you can without risking your life everybody has that. Their comfort is on different scales. It's not, um, you know, lightness breeds a level of comfort, whereas amenities breed a level of comfort. It just depends on where your comfort lies. Yeah, that's a good point. I like that. Now, the world's very different. I mean, from when you did it, your podcast in 2005, I mean, we look at it, it was like eight, 18 years ago. Can you believe that? No, I, I, I didn't even know the number of years until you just said it. Wow. I'm sorry. It's, no, no, it's, it's it puts it into perspective. It makes me actually. It makes me feel even. It makes me feel, makes me feel better about about my choice. It's like 18 years. Yeah, and and honestly, as much as I thoroughly enjoyed the process and I loved my time on the trail, I don't look back on that as like as like something I regret moving away from. Do you read trail journals at all anymore? No, I don't. I'm just starting to get back into certain things. I was interested in doing the the Camino de Santiago this year, but you know, you know, there were plans and there were plans. Um, the world has changed because you know you're thinking about a we we're talking about a pre iPhone, pre social media world when you started doing this, um, and you're not on social media. Um, I think people's motivation for doing things now is significantly different. I mean, people were obviously wanting to reach their communities when they were doing trail journals. But I mean, we live in an Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, look at me world. Um, do you have any opinion on how you think maybe it's affected the world of through hiking? Because I mean, you know, people aren't hooking up to a, uh, this text-based device to a modem anymore. People, you know, you're, you're never lost anymore. I would hope that it, that it, that it has made it better um, for those that wish to uh, maintain communication with their family, but also that 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 like to write and want to describe their experience. I think it's going to be a lot easier for them to take their mobile phone, which is a lot lighter. And as soon as they get into some form of cell phone coverage, they'll be able to update their experience. And because for me, reading trail journals was 
I just loved it so much. I mean, I read, I read so many of them and, and there was some really great writing, but even the, even, even the ones that were just like, I did this, I did this, I did this was still a learning experience. It lets you kind of, you know, you were still kind of learning from them, but then there, there was always the standouts, the ones that just, you could tell they liked to write. They were writing about what they saw, what they felt, what they were learning. So I would hope that social media has helped, has helped in that regard is just making it easier, easier to do. I think the motivation obviously is key because your motivation for doing the podcast was genuine and people's motivations for doing trail journals was very genuine. Um, we're living in a very influencer based world now, which is a little different to the one back in 2005. So um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure if it's made it better because the motivation for you doing it wasn't financial in, it, in any way, shape or form. I mean, Obviously, you bought your own equipment. You published it. I mean, it's not like you made a dime out of it. No, um, no, yeah. <laughs> so, when you remove the um, the altruism side of it, it becomes a little bit more. Um, it becomes a commercial venture, and I, and I don't know. And I'd like to reach out to people if I ever do hear from somebody. I'd like to know what they think. People who've actually hiked it back in two thousand and five to now. I, I always wanted to do the PCT, but I don't anymore um and it's not just the time and it's not just the fact that i have an eight-year-old and i'm you know cracking 53 and you know the the joints aren't what they used to be but i just don't i, I don't know if the escape is the same anymore. well you know david so i'm i'm i'll be cracking 55 in october and so we're we're close to the same age but you are developing a podcast about a very important phenomenon um this this desire for hobo style travel and i look forward to found the two episodes um that you uh, that that are on archive and there was a really interesting movie book that came out recently not truly about i don't know if you heard of uh, nomadland i haven't i've watched it yes okay yeah the, the movie with the the woman out of fargo i can't remember her name now Correct. Uh, she's married to uh, uh, one of the Farrelly brothers, right? One of the, I think the Cone. Yeah. Um, no, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. It was a haunting movie. It, it is, but, but but it had it, but it had moments that showed, you know, or or or, de, or de, depicted, you know, like like like, I don't know, this 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 ideal feeling of freedom, and 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 also when when I think of 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 an Australian, um, uh, setting, you know, I, I always think of Australians as kind of having this, this, this very, this very rugged individuality. Um, um, so when I was listening to Jody talk about the bib track and, and her being out of mobile range and, and actually looking forward to that experience, the fact that she had, uh, counted, I don't know, 124 kangaroos and 76 stick snakes, <laughs> you know, Jody is is typical of the people that I went to college with as well because when we finished, I mean, I, obviously I know Jody, I, I knew her from college, but she isn't the only one who, when we finished college, that gap year was we're leaving, we're going, we're going on our pilgrimage, and it's not unusual. I mean, you you ask an Australian if they want an additional two weeks work or they want an an additional two weeks vacation, they're taking the two weeks vacation every time we're not workaholics that doesn't mean that we're lazy that just means that life is more important yeah i i i really I, in fact I, I hadn't really even been thinking about that older phase of my life until you reached out again and it was really fun listening to that 
uh, to that episode. Uh, so I will bookmark that and, and I hope to listen to more because it is, it, it is an important topic to bring up because it, I think, it, it, I think it is coming up this, this desire to introduce more freedom and, and choice in one's life. And, and I really liked how she talked about, um, looking forward to redundancy. The other thing is as well, um, we're about reducing our footprint. I mean, obviously hopping on planes and that's different, but the idea is, is less consumer based. The idea is more experience based. And that's really what I want to get at. I, I, this is a side note. I, I was sitting in the Carillion arcade. I might've even mentioned it on a podcast before. And if I do, I'll have to edit it out, but I'm sitting in the Carillion arcade, which is this big commercial arcade in downtown in Perth. And we're in a food court and we're watching people eat Chinese meals. And I'm there with my mom and they've all gone through and they finish their meal and, you know, they, they get up and they walk away and leave the food on the table. And I says to my mom, you know what? I could just live on the Chinese meals in these, the people leave behind here and I could live the life of a hobo. And my mom looked at me like something. My mom looked at me like I was something wrong with me. And then I listened to a podcast on the ABC, Australian Broadcasting. Um, about people who did it for uni. They would go and just pick out food out of bins and they lived healthier because it was always fresh fruit that they were throwing away before it just turned that little bit yellow. And yeah, I I can see an upside. I really can. Uh, reduce your footprint, eat out of bins. And not everybody's not everybody's cup of tea, but uh, I might be able to do it. Oh, what's that what's that book about the the young man that 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 turned his back on his family and friends and and went on a on, on an American, oh yeah. into the wild into the wild yeah um and went on an American walkabout and of course you know ended up you know tragically dying in the in the Alaskan woods um but you know so much speculation and I and you know about what 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 motivated him was I don't think was will truly ever be revealed but um Nomadland again really haunted me there was a book about um uh a hermit that was discovered about 10 years ago that had been living for over 25 years um, in the New England woods. And mm-hmm. so, you know, this, this desire to be, if not off the grid, but to be, you know, at least away for it or, 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 or a good distance away from it, have, have more choice in one's life and, and not like kind of worship or need, you know, worship the idol of, of work is incredibly appealing. Absolutely. And people in America do, do like their work. Um, I don't, I've kept you like, it's now cracking on an hour and 24 minutes, uh, a long time. Thank you. Thank you for spending so much time talking to me. It's been such a pleasure, Bob. It's my pleasure, um, David. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to? No, sir. I just wish you the best of luck, uh, with your podcast. I look forward to seeing more episodes and, uh, Godspeed, sir. Uh, and now, I mean, you're not on social media and if somebody gets this and obviously I'll put a link to the podcasts and if somebody does listen to them and goes, Hey, I, I, I'd like to reach out to that guy, you know, Bob Butler. Um, how can they do that? Or should they do that? I think trailcast at Gmail still works. I think I still have it forwarding to my, to my normal email address. Uh, so I, I'll have to check that, but absolutely feel free to to drop a line. Uh, I believe I pretty much replied to everybody. I, I don't call ever getting an angry or abusive or mean or prank email about it. Every, every email that I ever received was sincere. Either the, the criticism was valid or it was 
it was just very affirming kudos. So I, I think that I'll check it, but I believe that that email is still active and still forwards. Excellent. The criticism um, of a free podcast. God forbid. Uh, okay. We had one one guest, one, uh, one, one guest, which uh, I, I will not name, um, who apparently there, there had there was was apparently regarded as a contro a controversial figure um, in some of these trail forums. I had no idea. So I didn't really listen to much of the criticism. I just I just let it go by. Um, that was the, other than the constructive criticism about the poor audio quality when interviewing Wookie. But that was it. Everything else was very, very helpful and affirming. Yeah, because let me start by telling you, you need to go back and fix that Wookiee interview. You need to go all the way back in your time machine and fix it so we can I all do. listen to You're it. I right. do. Or maybe just not a produced. It was, it was a disservice to him and, and, his, and his really neat story and, and to those that were really struggling to listen to it. So, uh, so my apologies for, you know, for, for if, it, if it caused your ears to bleed. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much, Bob. And that uh, ends my interview with uh, Bob Butler. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, David. Thank you. Now, that was another long episode, but largely because I really enjoyed chatting to Bob, and I am so grateful that he was willing to participate. The next interview is a return to regular programming, and it will be with either Bobby Abrahamson or Steve Roberts, both hobos in their own rights. Now, I'm not sure which will come first, as neither is recorded yet. After that, I'm at a loss. I would love to speak to somebody on a boat, YouTuber Sam Holmes comes to mind, or maybe a rail hopper. I don't know if anybody is familiar with Jim Stobie, Stobe the Hobo, but someone of his ilk would be awesome. Sadly, Jim Stobe was killed doing what he loved, but his videos that are amazing are still on YouTube, and I recommend you check them out. Anyway, apart from that, I'm open to suggestions. And finally, special thanks to the bands Tom Joad and Kelly Weiss for providing music for the show. And of course, thank you to you all for listening to SkippyCast. you didn't guess who the PCT hiker I was talking about was, it was George Billy Goat Woodard, who for almost three decades has hiked roughly 150 days per year.